0: if we have any english majors or people that like writing or language or whatever uh you'll probably know that simile and metaphor are two uh, rhetorical devices that we use in writing and in conversation uh where you take something that's different but you want to make an analogy and so you use it to compare things and to uh, make a point if you're making a point a simile or metaphor uh, makes it more emphatic or if you're painting a picture a simile or metaphor uh makes it more vivid several years back i uh, read about a college writing group, a class, who were asked to use simile or metaphor in their writing, and I picked out my top five. Uh, Maybe some of you will appreciate these. Actual metaphors, similes from college students. The little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. John and Mary never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. Her hair glistened in the rain like nose hair after a sneeze. Long separated by cruel fate, the star-crossed lovers raced across the grassy field toward each other like two freight trains, one having left Cleveland at 6.34 p.m. traveling at 55 miles per hour, the other from Topeka at 4.19 p.m. at the speed of 35 miles per hour. Her vocabulary was as bad as like whatever. And then lastly, their money became like Godzilla and trampled their dreams. Uh, I wrote that one for six weeks we have walked through daniel the first six chapters of daniel in a series called thriving in babylon and today i want to hit a topic that touches all of us and a topic if we're not careful will trample us the subject of money can it can chew you up it can it it can eat you up it can spit you out and trample over you and conversations this week where some of you have let me in on your stuff have reminded me that no matter where we are in the spectrum of having or not having, that money is a massive, massive subject. The pastor here at Fondry Church, well, that'd be me, doesn't talk much about money. If you look, if we kind of did a graph, I don't have one on the screen, but if, if, if you think about how much Jesus uh, studied, how much Jesus talked about money, from the ground up it would be right here. We're just comparing Jesus here and Robert. So here's Jesus talking about money, and here's Robert talking about money right here so today for the next 33 minutes or so I'm gonna be more Jesus like and I'm talking about something that can really that really does grip us that's massively uh, massively important there's over 2350 Bible verses that relate to money or material possessions there's some 800 verses that talk specifically about investing saving debt reduction giving uh, etc. Jesus told 38 parables where he used simile or metaphor, and of the 38, some 15 to 16 of those are him talking about money or material uh, possessions. It's really important, and it can trip us up uh, in so many ways. What I hope for you today is not to get something from you, so rest easy. What I hope today is that God will do something in you. That I'm going to give two basic uh, Vince Lombardi, men, uh, this is a football. I'm going to give two basic uh, truths about what God says about money. But I, wanna, I want you to pray two prayers today. I want to prompt you to consider praying two prayers today. First one is, Lord, I invite you into my financial world. As things come up today, I want you to think about it. Uh, there's only five things we can do with money. We'll talk about that toward the end. But, Lord, I want to invite you into my financial world because some of you haven't done that. And then secondly, I want you to say, I want you to pray, Lord, I want to take you at your word. I want to trust you because God's math and God's economy are very different. I met a new couple after the 930 service. They introduced themselves to me. One's a math uh, professor at Bellhaven, the other at Heinz. And, and I was like, hey, math professor, kind of funny. We got you guys here today when we're talking about some math. God's math is very different. God, I want to invite you into my financial world. And God, I want to trust you. I want to take you... Um, I want to take you at your word it happens happens a good bit around here uh, somewhere between occasionally and often i will find a journal or diary laying around the church uh, our staff can testify to this but oftentimes i'll see one in the pew because i come in here sometimes i never sit there during church but i walk around and sometimes pray pray for the services and pray for you and i'll, I'll notice a, a journal or diary in one of uh, here in the sanctuary in one of our rooms and I'm a preacher, which means I'm mostly honest, so I don't open your diary or journal that that makes you feel better, or, or do I? I mean, we've got to know whose they are, right? And we've got to know some of the things for me to be a good pastor. I need to know what you're struggling with, what your deepest sins are. What if, what if I did that, though? What if I opened and said, oh, this journal belongs to, you know, John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith, and look what his sin, look at his prayer, you know, and what if I put it on the screen? Uh, that'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? That'd be different. How about this, though? What if it wasn't your your journal or your diary? What if it was your checking book ledger? Or what if it was your credit card statement? What if we had access to that information and we put it on the screen? Well, we wouldn't have time in a crowd this size, so we'll only do A through L uh, this morning. No, just kidding. But what if we put that, would it it make you cringe more if your credit card statements were here or if your journal was up on the screen? Private prayers and thoughts and dreams and fears. I I would uh, submit to you that your credit card statements, your checkbook ledger, um, if it was put on the screen today, it would probably uh, cause a lot of unease around the room. But it's those two documents, if you will, that tell us so much about you. And I think it's why Jesus talked so much about it, because he knows that there's nothing like money and material possessions that, that will act as a chief competitor for our hearts. Incidentally, I didn't mention this at the 930 service, there's no example that I know of in Scripture, in the New Testament, where Jesus is asking for money. There is a moment where he takes a coin from a man, but he gives it back. So Jesus is not a big asker for money. He preached about asking and seeking and knocking, and he made promises about what can happen if you become a giver. But there's no direct, like, hey, give me money kind of thing that preachers get stuck on a lot. Jesus didn't ask for money, but he talked about our hearts because nothing quite can get our hearts like money. I may not have to tell all of you that money is the number one marriage killer in America today. There's no word like money, uh, sex, kids, what are we gonna watch on Netflix, the name of the in-laws, there's no trigger, no trigger word uh, in our homes today quite like money. And it taps into our sense of security and our scarcity and some of our, our deepest fears. Um, so let's, what I want to do today is talk about uh, these two basic truths and p- present them to you, and my hope is this. My hope is this, that you will move toward more financial peace. If you have financial peace, don't get cocky. Uh, let it rub off on the rest of us. I know a friend who would love to do a financial peace course here, so if you do want to go through a study about some of the stuff we're going to talk about, then, man, we would love to resource you. Churches need to do a better job of helping people. Again, because Jesus talks so much about it. Jesus, Robert. That's how it's been around here. But I want to, I want to do a better job talking about something so important and so vital. It grips our hearts, doesn't it? It really, really does. Um, financial peace, when I talk about financial peace, I'm not talking about financial independence, even. I'm not talking about financial arrogance, I'm talking about a sense of priority and arrangement in giving, about saving and spending and uh, the reality that's so missing today of contentment and generosity and, yes, even joy. That's financial peace. Um, I have a friend who told me recently, he goes, preacher, my goal is I want my cash and my life to run out at the exact same time. And I'm like, okay, maybe after lunch on Tuesday, right? There's there's bigger and more lofty goals that God has for us. I want to look at those uh, with us today. Matthew chapter 25 is where we'll be. If you want to open your Bible, if you brought it, I certainly want to honor that. And we'll have these verses up on the screen as we always do. The first principle that I want to give you before we look at Matthew is this simple fact. Remember, Vince Lombardi, training camp, rookies and veterans, this is a football. Look, look, look. Whether you're a rookie in church or you're a veteran, we need this. God owns it all. God owns it all. Matthew 25 says this, verses 14 and 15. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. That was my microphone, not a shot. Um, To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability we would say today a bag one guy got a five one we got a five bag guy we got a two bag guy we got a one bag guy and notice this phrase because our first point this is a football our first point is what you remember god owns it all notice the phrase here in the what the third line there Uh, he entrusted his possessions to them stay with me on that he entrusted his possessions to them any parents in the room who've taught your kids how to drive So many young families in our church, one day you will be teaching your children to drive. Good luck. You have my prayers. But when you teach a teenager to drive, you're giving them the keys and you're saying, okay, after the first lesson or two in driving school, you're like, hey, here's the car and you go enjoy it. You've given them rights to the car. Uh, I'm sorry, you've given them responsibilities, but the right of ownership is yours. They're merely possessing it. I would say to you, no matter if you have a little or a lot... And by the way, uh, go on a mission trip with Fondren Church, and you'll see how much you do have. But whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, uh, God owns it all. You don't really possess, I mean, you, you possess something, but you don't own it. He entrusted them three times in Susan and I's life. We've handed the keys over to a kid and said, Hey, you know, you have responsibilities, but the rights of that car, the ownership uh, is ours. That's what God is saying in this passage. Uh, he owns it all let's let's look at his word to be even more clear deuteronomy 10 14 the heavens indeed the highest heavens belong to the lord your god as does the earth and everything in it deuteronomy 8 you may say to yourself my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me but remember that the lord your god gives you the power to gain wealth job when he was uh, talking to god god says this who confronted me that i should repay him everything under heaven belongs to me. First Chronicles 29, 14. What if this was part of your story, your testimony, as it came to your handling of money? But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That when you clutch tightly, when you cling tenaciously to what is mine, uh, that's that you're missing the full picture you're missing the fact that, what's our first point? God owns it all. Uh, You possess things, but God owns it. You've been given a trust, you've been given a responsibility, but the rights to it are His, and I want to challenge you, uh, in love today, to live that way, to have that sense of you're responsible for what's been entrusted to you. The second point that I want to give you is that God has enrolled us in character development school. God owns it all, And God has enrolled us in character development school. How do you grow spiritually? Anybody wanna offer some guesses? Van did a little uh, crowd, congregation participation. How do you grow spiritually? What are things that have helped you grow spiritually? I bet some of you would say coming to church and reading your Bible and praying and being around other Christians and going and all these things. God uses spiritual practices to grow your faith. Holy habits or rhythms that we build into the warp and woof of our lives help you grow spiritually practical teaching can help you grow spiritually when you open the bible and you realize it, it, it meets you in that moment it speaks to your life and you realize in that moment what the bible says in hebrews 4 12 is true it's it's living and active it's sharper than any two-edged sword it has the ability to, to discern to punch through the thoughts and intentions of your heart to the joints and to the marrow deep into the into who you are uh, it's living and active and you go apply that you're going to grow spiritually uh, if you apply God's word, practical teaching, it really helps. Providential relationships. God brings people in your life at the right time to grow you. You probably have some testimonies to that if you've grown spiritually. But here's what God uses to grow spiritually as well. And it may be number one on the list. He uses hardship. He uses difficulty. He uses the fact that we live in this world that's very unfair and that's stained by sin. He's going to use many things to grow your character. He'll use jobs, he'll use school, he'll use parents and in-laws and kids, he'll use weird neighbors and demanding coaches, Um, he'll use lingering illnesses and tragic events. He'll use those things in your life, and he will use money and material possessions. Let me tell you, he will. He'll use money and material possessions. So I want to ask you, are you enrolled in the school? Are you enrolled in character development school many of us with money we want it to flow in we don't want it to flow out so easily but have you noticed it does that do you remember your first job well y'all remember your first job i'm going to count to three and you say it out loud your very first job maybe you were 16 years old or one two three okay i i, I didn't get that but uh, maybe you did uh, maybe you bagged groceries maybe you were a babysitter maybe you cut grass you had a first job and do you remember when you got your first paycheck with that first job it, your name was on the envelope which is way cool and then you open the envelope and you said, who is FICA? And you're like, man, they're taking my money. They're ta- money flows in and money flows out. And like rocks on the bottom of a creek with water, the passage of water over time, those rocks are shaped by the water that passes over them. Your heart is shaped by the money that flows in and the money that flows out. And God wants to develop you through this. Bill Bright is a man I talk about some, but probably not enough or maybe too much. But he was the founder, the director, or president of Campus Crusade for Christ. And hearing him speak as a college freshman changed the trajectory of my life. I committed to ministry, and, and uh, I believed what he had to say about the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And Bill Bright says this, that there's um, three ways that God uses money in our lives. Uh, it's a, it can be a tool, it can be a test, and it can be a testimony. A tool, a test, and a testimony. So think of, uh, this is from the prophet Isaiah, but think of the potter's will. Think of God putting you on the potter's will, and through money, the money that flows into your life, the money that flows out of your life, the money that you're afraid of, the money that you argue with your spouse about, the money that keeps you up at night, the money that buys the big purchase, the money that, remember the car commercials and all the commercials that are coming up at Christmas, like the, they pull up and the, 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 the woman gives uh, the man a uh, uh, Alexis, Lexus, and uh, he gives her a puppy, and you know we we're like they're not having a different Christmas than I'm having, uh, but it's uh, God puts us all in the potter's wheel, and we'll see in just a second. This story, oh my goodness, it's about so it's just not about um, how much we have. It's it's not about how much we have. It's something very very different uh, than that. There's also um, a test, a test when it comes to our finances. In Matthew 25, we we continue with this story. Remember, five bag, two bag, one bag. The man who had received five bags put them to work and earned five more in the same way the man with two earned two more. It's not what they were given. It's not. The the deal is not the amount. Um, We can sometimes say, I can't give much. And someone who's rich can say, look what I gave. And you know what? God is unmoved by both. They shape us wrongly, but God is unmoved by both. It's really the, if you look at what the scripture says, and that's my job to teach you the Bible, uh, if you look at what the scripture says, it's percentage. God wants a percentage of your gift. He he owns it all, but he wants you and I to practice uh, giving when it comes to a percentage. So it's not the amount, and we see that in the story. There's no difference here, but the man who received one talent, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. I bet he was ticked off at the master. master. In a moment you'll see he calls him a harsh servant. And I just want to say to you, going back to God owns it all, point number one, um, open your hands to heaven. And if it's good or bad or somewhere in between, right now, the allotment that you have, God can be in that. If it's it's a lot, be careful. If it's a little, trust him. Um, It's not the amount, but understand that that needs to be yielded because remember i'm asking you today to invite god into your financial world and to trust him to take him uh, at his word his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things i will put you in charge of many things share your master's joy the man with two talents also approached this was the five bag guy he also said master you give me two talents see i've earned two more his master said to him this is the same result it's not the amount well done good and faithful servant You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Same thing, share your master's joy. There's a celebration because the one with the two and the one with the five invested. They trusted. They took God at his word. They were mindful of the type of leader or manager that they had. And they said, I want to be entrusted with these possessions rightly. Luke 16, I believe it is, says this. Whoever's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. If you manage, if you lead at your firm or your organization, if you're a boss in the workplace, even parenting, you see this to be true. If someone's faithful in little, hey, I gave the kids, I gave my kid the car. He came back. It wasn't too dented up. Maybe I'll give it to him. Again, if you're faithful in little you'll be given more that's the way we operate that's what we expect in a just world whoever's unrighteous it also it moves from financial to moral whoever's unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much so if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth who will trust you with what is genuine so here's the thing i have the privilege to know some of you and to have friends like some of you do and man there's great wealth there's lavish things, and I know a lot of people, man, they're not getting what they thought they would get. The satisfaction and contentment is not coming from all that. And what I wanna say in love, this isn't judgment, it's just the truth, that's pointing you to something else. Like some of you, your story, we got some college students like you know, y'all know, are uh, struggling to eat and to get by, you're not really making much money, if any at all now. But a lot of our meaning in life comes from the struggle to make it, to see Jehovah Jireh God be a provider. But some of us, we've surpassed that, if you will, and lots is coming in. But we had hoped that, I remember my first ministry job, I was making like $16,000 a year. But I learned a guy at a different church down the street was making like $25,000. I'm like, okay. Uh, the Newsweek did a survey and they asked people, how much do you need? A pretty widespread survey. The people that made 25000 the average answer, if you make 25000 what do you need to make you happy? The answer was 54000 they asked people who made 100000 hey, what do you need? The, not, not lavish, not something over the top, but what do you need to, to make you happy? The people that, that had $100,000, the answer came back on average as 192000 So I'm being slightly loose with the math. Basically, for everybody in the room, uh, we need twice as much as we have now. Oh, if I just had twice as much as I have now, then I'll be happy. And that exposes something in our hearts this tool this test in God's character development school something is percolating uh, within us here's how he finishes and if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else who will give you what is your own so here's this test that's set before us um, a tool and a test and will we be faithful when it comes to the tool will you pray God put me on the potter's wheel I want to invite you into my financial world. I want to take you at your word. I want you to grow my character. And this test that God gives us with money and material possessions, it, um, it minds our motives. It makes us ask what we really value. It makes us, it reveals what we're scared of, what we're putting our security in. It's a, it's a really, really big deal. It's a tool and it's a test. Back to the passage. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you, which he doesn't. You're a harsh man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and, and hid your talent in the ground. See what see you have, what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered. He was afraid, and he was ticked off, and he had the wrong picture of a loving God. When I put all those verses up there from Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 8 and First Chronicles 29 and all these other, Job 41, 11, when I put these verses up there, God owns it all. God said, I own it all, and that's not God's ego. That's not God as an egomaniac leader. That's not God as a hoarder that's a god who's good and god tells us he owns it all because he wants us to know and so many of us and i honestly the more money the more problems but i'm quoting a 90s rapper but it's also biblical but like you you you, you get into that phase and we, it, it gets twisted in us and we forget we we lose perspective god owns it all but he knows what's good for us and god owning it all by the way can i just say that's a very freeing thing Like, he owns it all. I remember when I was driving an old uh, hoopty car, and I've sort of got one now, but God is good. But I was driving a car, and it was making noises. And, man, I just drove that thing right into a dealership, and it died. And I'm like, and I I thought, God owns it all. And sometimes I live these sermons before I preach them. I'm like, all right, God, you own it all. What are you going to do with your car? This is your car. And you know what he did? He gave me a new one. you know several years later when the same thing happened you know what he did he gave me a new one I'm not going to preach today that like God is Oprah you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car but I do want to say Susan and I in our marriage in the 27 years we've been married twice somebody's given us a car and twice those moments were at the very time that we needed them we didn't ask we didn't beg or plead or borrow just God's good provision when God owns it all it frees you up to say God this car ain't running it's your problem and can I tell you, he wants to respond to that. Remember when he says, tithe, test me in this. When you give God your first, off the top, and your best, he's saying, it's the only place he says, test him. And God wants you and I to trust him in this and test him in it. Um, It's also a testimony. A a tool, a test, and a testimony. I love Hebrews 13, 5. There's some good stuff in Hebrews about marriage and everything. It says here, keep your lives free from the love of God money and be content with what you have because God has said I will never leave you or forsake you. Can we talk for a second how rare contentment is? When you're hanging out with somebody, aren't they just chasing the next thing? When you're restless, when you get to sit down and think for a moment uh, your mind goes somewhere else and it so easily goes to what you don't have. And who's content among us? Money, material possessions, is a tool, it's a test, and it's a testimony. My prayer for my life has been, for some time now, that my life would be marked as a gratitude-filled testimony to God's goodness. That even though things around me fluctuate, that God is a good God. He's the giver of good gifts. He's given me, 1 Timothy 6, richly all things to enjoy. He's provided for me in the nick of time at times. He's provided for this church just at the right time and in such a God-honoring way. I've seen that and I want that for everybody. Tyler Hendricks was up here earlier talking about Mattamoris and giving and going and all. Um, I remember getting a thank you letter from Tyler. We've been friends for a long time, him and his wife Caitlin. I remember him writing me saying thank you for what you've taught me about generosity, but the last several years he's taught me about generosity. Uh, I'm learning from him and Fondren Church is so much better because of people who have invited God into their financial world and are taking him at his word. God owns it all. That can be so freeing. Can I tell, say that to you? The fact that God owns it all can be a great opportunity if you yield to him for him to provide for you. Jesus said, uh, let me go back, because sometimes I do this, I put the verse up, and you're reading ahead. But Jesus said this. He said, Watch out. Luke twelve fifteen, to the rich man. Watch out, be on your guard against all matter of greed. Because a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this story about the rich guy. Then he told him a parable. rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Isn't that a good problem to have? Can we just agree, church? Like, it's a human thing. You don't have to be a stuffy religious person or act sanctimonious. Like, that's a good thing. Like, don't you want that problem? Like, I've got so much. What do I do with the stuff? There's really not much wrong with that yet. I will do this, he said. Notice I, me, and my. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Well, we got a problem. We speak about it euphemistically. What do we call it? We say it's a, it's an upgrade. We're going to upgrade. I was studying this week and learned historically that in 1950, the average size of an American home was 1,000 square feet 1950. In 1970, the average size of a... American home was 1,500 square feet. In our day, the average size of an American home is 2,300 square feet. And do you know that family size has shrunk by 25%? So 25%, we're 25% smaller, have less people running around the house, but our houses are 50% bigger. And what does that tell us about ourselves? We wanna upgrade, we, want the, we wanna go from the 60 inch to the 70 inch, from the Toyota to the BMW, et cetera, et cetera. But a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This story, Jesus continues it. Then I'll say to myself, this rich man, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Fondering church, let us be rich toward God. Let us learn what it means to invite God into our finances, to take him at his word, to realize his math is better than our math. And let's learn to be rich toward God. It was Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who said that what we weave in time, we wear in eternity. Your investment now, look, it's upon the preacher. It's incumbent on the preacher to preach this sometimes. Uh, You're living now, and it's not just going to be over. It's not you only live once it's you, you need to be faithful now because you will reap in eternity. We need to hear that. That's healthy. Only God's grace gets us in. Only God's grace. Only because of what Jesus has done for us. I said this in the first service, but Susan and I, uh, we don't preach prosperity theology, but we can tell you story after story of how God has provided for us. I think I've told you a couple already. But we don't give to receive. Our primary motivation is to give because we've already received what we already had. And there's plenty of people That can say that and if you're in Christ you can say that everybody um, can say that so if you look at what the sum as the team begins to make their way up there's a little bit of rustling in the room if you look at what the sum of scripture says it says this about money this is the way I put it make it honestly save it consistently give it cheerfully spend it intelligently and enjoy it cautiously those 800 verses I talked about in Scripture a point to these important truths. Make it honestly. Man, I, I know, as a pastor, I know some of you are right on the edge of you, you have this opportunity to cut a corner, to take a shortcut, and it's not going to honor God. And it could, be a, it could be an opportunity for you to get rich quick. And here's what I want to say. What is it in us that wants to get rich quick? What is it about the human spirit that wants that? I've stood in line at convenience stores behind a man who is buying a $100 Powerball ticket, getting $10 of gas in an old car he's got three or four hungry kids. What is it in us that wants to get rich quick? I, I know a couple of guys who are obsessive compulsive gamblers and they've lost everything. And I know a guy in my life right now who's teetering on the edge of it. Uh, we want to get rich quick we want the fantasy like get out of debt and we want it to be fast and easy and let me answer that question why do we want to get rich quick because it's easy because it's so easy but look God is not in that he's gonna enroll you and I in the character development school because only in character development school can we learn wisdom and humility and prudence and restraint and discipline and preparedness and planning And it crushes the back of envy and greed and pride and lust and apathy and ease and comfort. And all of these things that are promised by the get rich philosophy. But the get rich philosophy doesn't produce any of the qualities, the character qualities that God wants to develop in us. So as you stand, I want to ask you to think today on your feet, which of these areas, maybe all five, but which of these five stand out uh, to you? When it comes to giving cheerfully, I'll say this about the church, this is a secret that pastors know, that there's something about our character formation when people who make $100,000 or more, the high achievers, they make $100,000 or more percentage-wise, they give far less than everybody else. And it's really hard for us to trust God. The more, listen, the more we have, there's something about as possessions increase, character can shrink. And man, I don't want that for anybody in the room. That's not good for God's house and all that He's called us to do. But look, it's also not good for you. God has called you for more. And some of you know how to make money. I want to challenge you, using the words of another pastor, to, to think about how you can not increase your standard of living, but increase your standard of giving. They were in the first service, and I, I called attention to it without pointing to them. But um, a couple that we love, they. He got engaged on a rainy day on our steps out here years ago. We married him right here. We have watched them have babies. And they felt the call to move into foster care and adoption. And this week, um, Mississippi brought them a little three-year-old girl. This week, we've been praying for them in the Daniel series, of Thriving in Babylon. We prayed for them to have courage. And This week, they stepped up to the plate. They're so overwhelmed. At staff meeting this week, we prayed for them, and we text-bombed them all at the same time and said, we love y'all. We're with you. We know this is difficult. A little three-and-a-half-year-old girl. Came to live with them, isn't that great? I mean, like, can we just applaud that, right? I mean, that is just a, that is such a good thing. And uh, as pastor, man, that makes me so proud to see you moving. And God doesn't want He says, give cheerfully, not begrudgingly, not reluctantly, and be wise and be smart. And some of you, man, it's not what I want from you, honestly. It's what I want for you. I pray that you would invite God in. The younger you are, look at me, the younger you are, man, I want this for my kids, and I think they're starting to get it, man. I want them to not live, to be sucked into this world, but to think about the kingdom. And by the way, the local church, if you want one investment that's better than any other investment, one investment, can I give it to you? It's the local church. It's the local church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the one institution. The government, it's gonna die. It's going away. But the local church is the one thing Jesus is like, that's it. And I'm telling you, as long as the church is not led by greedy people, as long as we're outward facing, this is your best financial investment. But this is what I hope for you. God owns it all, and God has enrolled us in the character development school. Don't cut class. And Jesus, Father, we pray that you would work in our midst. May we be marked by generosity. There are probably not too many greedy people in the room, but there are some people very, very afraid to invite you into their finances. I pray that you help them do that. Oh, what blessing to find uh, what generosity means to you. And Lord, it releases some things that uh, we've been putting our security in. So do your work in Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, the altar is open and we're here. We would love to pray for you today. Don't worry. Uh, Don't be embarrassed to come down. You got a whole bunch of more sinners, way worse than you, right around you. So you come down today if we can pray for you today.